This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Hammer you guys, but I can't hammer you till I know you. It's not fair. The Rambam says, hug him and hit him. But you first have to hug him before you hit him. So, I didn't hug you yet. So, we're, gonna, we're not going to hammer. First time I spoke in Medrash, I was really nice. They actually invited me back. After the second time, I wasn't so nice. They sort of invited me back. So, I'm going to start off on a, on a nice note. So it's the reason I'm in Israel today, actually, Yud Zayin Shvat, is the um, yard set of my father, Oliver Shalom. And uh, the reason I'm giving a shear, I feel very much that on a yard site to give a shear um, would definitely be a nachas to his neshama. So it happens to be that I was by my Rebbe last night, Rabbi Gamliel Rabbanovitz, who was my Rebbe for the last 25 years, and he just wrote a sefer on Kibbut of Aim. And I started learning it last night, and there's a very big chiddush, and I think that specifically guys who are away from home, I don't think we really know what our, what our chiv is in Kibbut of Aim to our parents. Do we have to call them? We're finally free. We're finally out of there. I don't want to call them. They're going to start asking me questions. So, you know, usually the guys and girls who are here in Eretz Yisrael, they call their parents when the siren is off on, uh, you know, on Friday, and they're like, you hear the siren? It's Mama Shabbos. Okay, good Shabbos, Tati, goodbye. Because you don't want them to ask you what you learn, what you do this week, right? So, so Kibbut uh, is a little bit not so easy when you're far away. So he, he I'm just going to read you from inside, just at the beginning, because it's like such a chiddush. He says the following. He says, Issa Bahana the Baal Yahu. The Baal Yahu writes, Lama Nishmacha Mitzvah Kibbut Aim Eitzel Shmir Shabbos. Why we all know the question is why is um Kibbut of Aim in the first five of the Sarasa Dibros? The first five of the Sarasa Dibros have been Adam Lamakom. Kibbut of Aim has been Adam Lachavero. So what's it doing in the first five? It should be in the second five. So a lot of the Chazal say because Kibbut of Aim is very much connected to Ben Adam Lamakom. Because if you can't have respect for your parents and Hakarasato for your parents who you know brought you into this world who, no matter how bad you think your parents are, or how disconnected they are for you, or how much they picked on you, they had to die for you. They didn't have a choice. And fathers and mothers at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, you should all be fathers, not mothers, but you should all be fathers. Um, Amen is a good answer. So you'll learn that you got to burp them. It's a crazy thing having a kid, you know? It's like, you walk around and you try to burp that kid. Can you imagine? You're an adult. You just finished learning a whole day. And you're talking to this baby on your shoulders like, come on, burp already, right? I mean, if somebody, somebody would walk in on that, they would say, like, what's the deal? Right? So you got to burp the kid because otherwise they can't fall asleep. And you got to diaper the kid. And you have to feed the kid. And then they have fever. you got to take them to the doctor. The first two, three years, even if you're the worst parent in the world, you got to feed them and you got to diaper them. And we, we have to have our curse to tell for that. So... Surely, if you don't have a curse of toy for someone you could see, you could see and feel, and hugs you and kisses you, and buys you things and buys you clothes and takes care of you, and you don't have a curse of toe for that human being, you're not going to have a curse of toe for God. There's no way. There's no way you could be connected to God if you're not connected to people. God is the last connection, actually. It's the last connection. The first connection, the way the way we're born, is the first thing we do is we just take. We don't give anything back. We just take. Our, our relationship and when we're born is our parents feed us, burp us, diaper us, clothe us. We don't give them anything back except agita. So the first relationship as a human being is take, 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 take. Second relationship 
you get a little bit older, so you take, but you try to give your parents back epis a little bit nachas. So you take, but you're not just only taking. Once in a while, you get a hundred on your on your report card. You know, you tell them that the U that's circled means unbelievable, and the F is fantastic. You know, you give a give a little bit nachas. So sort of a give is sort of take a lot, a take and give. To take and give. Then you have friends. And it becomes a little bit, you can't just take and give because your friends won't last if that's what you do. So you begin to a little bit give and give and give and take instead of take and give. And then you get married. And that's, that's sort of a give and give, not a give and take, because that's not, you know, many times guys say, what's marriage? It's give and take. It's, that's not a marriage. If you give someone something and then you take it back, that's not a relationship. So a marriage is a give and give. Each one wants to give the other one. There is such a thing in theory. There is such a thing in theory. And then, the ultimate relationship, you start off as a baby where you just took, you become a parent. And believe it or not, a parent really just wants to give. Just, just don't give me adjective. Just, you know, I want to give, I want to take care of you. And that's it. They just want to give. They want to give their kids. To be disconnected from your child and not be able to give them when they become independent and they don't need you, there's sort of a little pain that your kid's married, making a living, and doesn't need you anymore. It's sort of a little bit of a disconnection. The biggest curse to the Nachash was that wherever he went, there'll be dust, will be his food. Sounds great. Wherever you go, you can eat. No, because there's no relationship. If you don't need Hashem, so there's no relationship. So the Nachash doesn't need Hashem. He has everything that he needs. There's no relationship. So when a child sort of goes on their own, become totally independent, it feels a little bit, a little bit bad, even though it's sometimes it's what they really want, but they feel a little bit bad because... As parents, we always want to give. So what happens in a person's life is you go from being an, a taker, you're born as a taker, nothing, that's all you want is take, and at the end of your life, as you grow through all your relationships, you become just a giver. And when you become just a giver, you can start to understand what God is. Because God's not interested in taking anything. Even though we think, we dive in, he needs my tree, he doesn't need nothing. He doesn't need anything from you, whatsoever. <laughs> He wants to give us. And that's why he built this world. Olam, right? Yubanech was built on chesed. He wants to give. So to understand that feeling, really to understand that feeling, you have to become a parent. Because a parent really just wants to give. You may not believe that, but really we just want to give. That's what we really want to do. We just don't, don't give us problems, but we just want to give you. So there's this relationship type of thing that you have to grow from when you're a child until you become a parent. And therefore, if, if you don't go through that relationship, if you don't understand those relationships, if you don't like yourself, because of really the most important relationship is between you and yourself, if you don't get along with yourself, you're down on yourself, you're disconnected from yourself, then you can, you'll definitely be disconnected to God because yourself, at least you know, you see, you touch, you feel, you smell, you have five senses. Because Baruch Hu is, is a being that you don't see. Your five senses don't really connect unless you know how to connect it to them. So, so, kibbutz of the aim, which is Akars HaTov to your parents, recognizing what they do for you, if you don't have that, then the other, Anoich Hashem Alekecha doesn't exist either. So that's why kibbutz of the aim is in the first five. Because if there's no kibbutz of the aim, there's no Anoich Hashem Alekecha. But the Debeil Yahu says something. He says, why, okay, I hear you. 
But why is Kibbutz of Aim next to Shemir Shabbos? Write a Neich Hashem Alikecha, and then write Kibbutz of Aim. Why is it next to Shabbos? Lamdecha, Shekol HaMachabed is of his emo. Anyone who gives COVID to his father and his mother, Afilu, Ibu Nichshal, Chas V'Sholem, Ba'oman Chilu Shabbos. Even if that person is Machal Shabbos, Harezeh Nimchal Lo. He is forgiven for the Chilu Shabbos. Vadvarma Amukim Ad Ma'oid. He's worth a very deep. Ke'aloi, Oman Chilu Shabbos, Humen HaChamur Shabbatayra. Could that be? Isn't Chilu Shabbos the, the strictest in the Torah, that we're punished with skila. How could you say that a person that's given of aim, he's forgiven on Chilo Shabbos? What this means in the deepness of me, it doesn't mean that if you take care of your parents, you should go out to Shabbos and, and turn on your phone. That's not what it means over here. But there is some type of kapora that a person gets when it comes to Chilo Shabbos. Because he does give it over aim. So Rabbi Gamliel writes, "Halibedove ain't a pasha klal." How do we understand this? Mishim mizalzel bechvoyd other v'imay harihu mizalzel kiviyochel gam bechvoyd yishal kodesh baruchu. A person who doesn't treat his parents correctly and he's mizalzel in their kavod, you should know that you're mizalzel in the kavod of a kodesh baruchu. But davar morgish biyose etu elu habechurim, and this this is more. Regarding boys, Asher matchilim lehis ordered miderech hatayr va'mitzvah. Guys, I go off the derech. Kimikudem matchilim lezalzal bechayvet harayim. Before they go off the derech, they start to have they start to have no respect or little respect for their parents. Umikan harei lemarbe hatzar haderech lishol tachdes karav moed. He says that this brings a lot more tzar. Because these kids are, are, are not only they're going off to Derek, but they're they're treating their parents very wrong. They're going to lose the He says the siyat that you have, you'll lose your siyat learning. In yeshiva, in this yeshiva, you're sitting here learning. You're not going to have siyat if you don't get along with your parents. If you don't have kibbutz and that doesn't mean that you need to be abused by your parents. Doesn't mean if you call your mother and father and they abuse you on the phone and you end up coming back into sheer depressed, right? Rabbi Center has to now get you a therapist because every time you talk to your parent, you end up depressed. So the Allah and Kibbutz of Aim is, and it's a very big problem I would like to introduce maybe in this yeshiva. Nobody learns Hilkha's Kibbutz of Aim. I went to yeshiva. You guys are in yeshiva. There's no high school, elementary school that a Rebbe gets up and it's a subject to learn. There's a thing called Hilkha's Kibbutz of Aim. There's a thing called Hilkha's Nobody learns it. So nobody really knows. What does that mean? Does that mean I can't hit them? Or I can't answer them back? Or if they're abusing me on the phone, can I hang up? Or if I'm in the room and they're chasing me, can I run out? Do I got to stand there and take a beating? Guys don't know the halachas of Kibbutz Aim. I don't understand. In girls' schools and in boys' schools, nobody learns Hilkha's Kibbutz Aim. In the beginning of Hilkha's Kibbutz Aim, it says a story. And it says that there was this Rosh Hashiva. And he was the head of the city and he was giving a shear. And his mother walked in and she spit in his face and she slammed him one and she ripped his clothing and the Shulchan Aruch says you're not allowed to say a word. You have to take it in front of everybody. He was your Rosh Hashiva. 
The Shulchan Aruch says, how could you do that? Your mother walks in, she's slapping you. She's spitting at you. She's ripping your clothing in front of you tell me then, hello, get up, get out of there. So he said, how could a person do that? He should think while he's taking this beating and this embarrassment, Shemaira Hashem Aleichem. That's the Lashen. Think about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and think about the mitzvah kibbutz of Aim, and just take it. On the other hand, on the other hand, that's a case where she walked in and she's doing it already. But if you know that you're going to pick up the phone and call them, and you're going to end up getting depressed, and I, then don't pick up the phone. Allah says you don't have to call. There's no mitzvah in calling, or call and say good Shabbos when the siren's on. But Lemaisa, if a person doesn't keep kibbutz of Aim, and he has this bad relationship with his parents, if you think you're going to have siyat and shmai and you're learning, and then you're growing, and you're causing them agita, it's not going to happen. And I'm, I don't want to, you know, you should get his safer. It's, uh, it's not translated in English yet, but I don't want to go through the whole thing, but this is just the beginning of it. And he says something very scary, which I haven't have spoken about many years ago. There's a thing called spiritual DNA. I'll tell you a crazy story about Kibbut of Aim and spiritual DNA. There's a thing called spiritual DNA. It's all over the Torah. I'm in the middle of writing a book. My second book, my first book was on Akras Atov. It's amazing that in the physical world, we have DNA. You look like your parents. One of your parents, your, your whole body, the more they study the DNA, so they always ask you, did your parents have this sickness? Did they have that sickness? Because if they had the sickness, then you might have that gene. What do I have to do with my parents' genes? So we, we, are, we get from our parents the DNA. The Gemara talks about from the, from the father comes the white in the body, the bones, the etzem from the mother comes the color, the organs, the blood. So there's, there's different parts of us that come from our, from our parents. There's a thing called physical DNA that if, you're, if you have two parents that have light eyes, they can't have a brown-eyed child. If they do, something's very wrong. You've got to check out what's going on. But if you have two brown eyes, you could have light eyes. Recessive genes, right? There's, there's all kinds of laws in DNA. The Zayah says that in the spiritual world, everything mirrors the physical world, that there's spiritual DNA. <clears throat> and therefore, Avraham Avinu was a Baal Chesed. So by a Jew, if you see a Jew who's not a Baal Chesed, check into his Judaism, there's something wrong. We see it, we see it all over the Torah. It's brought down by the daughters of Tzalafchad. Why did they have a love for Eretz Yisrael? Because they came from Shevet Yosef, and Yosef had a certain love for Eretz Yisrael, so they had that DNA. There's a lot of DNA, the DNA of jealousy, because... Because Chava was jealous when the Nachash said Hashem has something that you don't have. He knows being Tevil Ra. And that's why she did the Avera. Because until then, she never even looked at the tree that it was Tevil Naim. All of a sudden, he told her there's something God has that you don't have. All of a sudden, it was Tevil Naim. It was Taiva. All of a sudden, this tree that she, she didn't pay any attention to, she paid a lot of attention to because Hashem had something she didn't have. So their first Avera that was ever done was done because of jealousy. That became the spiritual DNA. And therefore, the next generation, which was Cain and Hevel, Cain killed Hevel because he was jealous. So there's many, the more I look into it, there's many, many different points of spiritual DNA. I want to tell you a true story. It's a true story. I'm talking in Teaneck. Wow. This must be 12, 13 years ago. I'm speaking, I'm speaking in Teaneck. I finished my speech in a place called Base Aaron. I finished my speech. And this man comes to me with his wife. He says, Rebbe Wallstein, I got to tell you, there's something like really crazy happened. I'm like, what happened? He says, we have a boy, and he's going along. He's learning. He's good. He's normal. He's a sweet kid. <coughs> he's 15 years old, and all of a sudden, 
he starts to hit my wife. I don't know where. Starts to hit my wife. All of a sudden in school, he starts doing miserable. He's fighting with everyone, but he would come home. So we took him to doctors. We took him to therapists. He has this mishigas. Every time he sees his mother, he beats her. He said, it's so out of control. Maybe you could talk to him. I'm like, that's really out of control. I said, I don't really know him. I don't know what I could tell him exactly. I mean, of course you can't beat your mother. Like, what do you You need me to tell him that? Hello? You should beat the heck out of him every time he hits his mother. Like, what? You need, you need a speech from me? I had just finished learning something on spiritual DNA. I said to him, you know what? You're telling me this is like all of a sudden. It sounds like it's something not so normal. Let me, let me talk. Come to me with your wife. So he comes to me with his wife. I sit down. I'm like, tell me, what was your relationship with your parents? She says, I, I'm a Svarty, and I married, my husband is an Ashkenazi. And my parents told me that if I marry an Ashkenazi, they're going to disown me. And I married him anyway. I said, okay, what did they do? They disowned me. <laughs> so they lived in Israel, and I lived in Teaneck. says, my whole family, my sisters, everybody disowned me. They didn't come to anything that we did. I was like, I didn't exist. says, my mother died. And I was thinking if I should go to Eretz Yisrael, to the Shiva. I decided, you know what? They disowned me. I disowned them. I didn't go. I didn't even sit Shiva. They disowned me. My family was very upset. People were asking in Israel, where's your sister? How come she's not here? How come she's not sitting here? We were, they were embarrassed. They couldn't really answer. So my father died. I said, for sure, I'm not going back. He's the one who said the whole thing about me not being accepted into the family because I married an Ashkenazi. So I didn't go to his Levi either. And everybody in Israel was talking about, like, what's going on over here? Like, she, how come she didn't sit Shiva? And it came out pretty much that the whole family was in Machlikas. And it became a whole bilbul. And I said, I hear you. I said, sounds like that your kibbutz of aim wasn't exactly the way that it should be, and maybe there's a maybe in Shemayim they're very upset about this. You didn't go to both your parents' levi's. You didn't go to their. I said maybe that's why your son is acting out against you, specifically against the mother, not against the father. I said, you know what? I think you should go to Eretz Yisrael. You should go to a gadol. I think you should go to your parents where they're buried, and I think you should ask the Mechila. Anyway, you should ask the Mechila, because Lemaise said they disowned you, but when they died, you had, you had to sit Shiva. You could not, not, she didn't sit Shiva for either one of them. I said, in Shemayim, that's just not, it can't be sitting well. So go, go ask. It's a true story. I said, go ask Mechila. So, they went to, a kev, to the Kever, and they, and with her and her husband, and they went, and she asked Mechila from her, her father and her, and her, and she was crying. Husband told me, he called me from, from Israel. My wife was standing there, and I never saw her cry like this. She was crying by her mother, and she was crying by her father. She really did tshuva by Walton. I think that, you know, it was, thank you for, for sending us. I'm like, you know what, do me a favor. It was like 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You're leaving on the 1 o'clock flight. Go to Rabbi Gamliel. Just tell him the whole story. Okay? They come to Rabbi Gamliel, my Rebbe. And she tells the whole story. I did this to my mother. I didn't sit shiva for my father, for my mother. And I went to the kever, and I cried. 
And I beg Mechila. He says, worthless. What? We bought a ticket. We came to... What are you, what are you saying? He said, go back before Shkia with a minion. And ask Mechila, take your shoes off. Stand by the kever without your shoes on. And ask Mechila B'fahesh in front of the minion. So they called me up and they said, Rewalfin, do we have to do this? I'm like, hello? You need to do this and you need to get there before the sun sets. So they went. I connected them with the yeshiva that I, Rabbi Tzvi Odessa's yeshiva, who I'm very close to. He sent ten bachrim. They went to the Beisak Faris. She took her shoes off. She started crying again. She asked Mechila in front of these ten bachrim. Mamish, it was wailing and screaming. It was out of control. These ten bachrim have the best kibbutz of the aim you'll ever imagine in the rest of your life. That I can tell you. So, I said, now go back to Rabbi Gamliel and tell him what you did. Make sure you did it right. They went back. So I asked my Rebbe, I said, why? Why Why the first time wasn't good enough? He said, because they were mezalzel, they embarrassed, she embarrassed her appearance with Fahesia. Because everyone who came to the Shiva, that, was, that wasn't secretly, that was Bifahesia. So she did this Bifahesia, she needs Mechila Bifahesia. So she needed a minion. Guys, I'm standing, Aaron Akkadish is behind me. They come home. Two weeks later, this kid becomes totally normal. No hitting, no fighting in school. Therapist said, what happened? He said, I don't know, I had this craziness in me that every time I saw my mother, I, wanted, I, I don't even know where it came from. He asked Mechila, he begged his mother, Mechila, he has no idea why it happened. He has no idea why it happened. <coughs> One story. Story number two. In Flatbush, a boy that I know <coughs> starts doing crazy stuff. He goes into his parents' room at night and he pulls their blanket off while they're sleeping. The guy's 17 years old. Crazy stuff, right? Doesn't come out of his room. Wants to be fed. His, his parents have to send the, open the door and put the food in, right? Totally went off the wall. Totally. They thought he had a nervous breakdown. They thought he was doing drugs. A boy that I knew. But the crazy thing was that he began to hit, the same story, began to hit his father. And he would mamish get into fist fight. He was a big boy. He'd get into fist fight with his father till they had to throw him out of the house. In fact, he had come to, he stepped, he was one of my friend's kids. It was so not normal. But I knew the story from Teaneck. So I'm like, okay, but I knew, I knew both parents. It didn't make sense. So I told the father, you know what, let's go to Eretz Yisrael. Last time it worked. And let's go to Rabbi Gamliel. <laughs> we come to Rabbi Gamliel. So he tells, he gives the name to Rabbi Gamliel. He tells Rabbi Gamliel that the, the boy, that, you know, his boy is he's crazy. He comes to that and he just pulls their blanket off all the time. And they put it back on and half an hour later he pulls it off again. It's like, it's not normal. They locked the door. He broke the door. It's like crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. From a, from a guy that was a normal guy. He's not normal anymore. He says, and he, 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 he punches me. The guy, my friend says to, to Rabbi Gamaliel, he punches me, he hits me. Rabbi Gamaliel looks at my friend and he says, what do you expect? You hit your father. Now, I didn't, I was standing there like, I think I'm leaving now, all right? <laughs> this is really none of my business. And my friend says, no, no, stay in the room. Rabbi Gamaliel says, you hit your father? 
He said there was one time, I was already an older bacher, and for no reason, I felt for no reason, my father slammed me across the face. I turned around and I slammed him back across the face. She tells her, I'm standing there, I'm like, whoa. He says, that's why this is happening. You go to your father's kever, no minion, because it was done one-on-one. You go there, he made him go back three, three days in a row. He gave him a tefillah to ask Mechiwa, whatever it was. I can't even say, because there, there may be someone in this room who might even know this boy today. Not only is he, not, not only is he normal, but Baruch Hashem. Other good things. So I saw in my life, twice, real spiritual DNA. And in the first two pages of... of of the of the Tiv Kibbutz of Em that, that Rabbi Gamliel just wrote, he writes that if you want to have good kids, and if you don't understand why you don't have good kids, and you're challenged with them, look how when you were younger you treated your parents. Because Bochul is not Michael. When it comes to Kibbutz of Aim. if you read the Shulchan Aruch and Hilchas Kibbutz of Aim, you will see that Akash Bochul has a crazy hakpada when it comes to how we treat our parents. Because inside of that hakpada on Kibbutz of Aim is Akar Satayv. And the one thing that God is very strict about is a person who's an ingrate, a person who doesn't have gratitude, a person who doesn't appreciate. And a person who doesn't have Kibbutz of Aim, automatically, you, they may be the worst people in the world, but they brought you into this world, and they definitely took care of you to a certain degree. And therefore... It's not really my subject today. My subject today has nothing to do with Kibbutz of Aim. I want you to know that. And I went to Rabbi Gamil last night at 10 o'clock at night just to get a bracha before I go back to America. And he handed me the Sefer. And normally I don't have time to open a Sefer. Last night I got, I got back very late and I opened the Sefer and I, 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 make, I say a prayer. My Talmudim know that before I come to give a shir, I say, Akash Baruch should come out of my mouth what they need to hear, not what I need to say. Because what I prepared to say, maybe you don't need to hear. So many times I get up to say one thing and out of my mouth comes something totally different. So I was not coming here today to talk to, about Kibbutz of Aim. That's not when I made up yesterday, two days ago, to come here to speak. I was going to talk about girls and drinking and all the other stuff that I need to talk about. I definitely wasn't going to talk about Kibbutz of Aim. But for some reason, someone in this room, maybe me, I don't know, someone in this room needs to hear this. You want Siat the Shemaya in life? Treat your parents correctly, even if they don't treat you correctly. That's when it's hard. Even if you think they're not treating you correctly. Hakar Satov is not based on what you think. Just crazy Hakar Satov in the Torah. There's a Pasha called Balak. It's named after a Russia. Right? Yisro Yidichuva. The only Pasha in the Torah It's named after a Russia. How many Pasha in the Torah are named after a person's name? Anyone here know? Pinchas, no? Yisro, right? Noach, Ish Sadik. Chaisara. Chairach, who was a Tzadik and when Mashiach comes will be a Tzadik. Balak? He, he hired Bilak to curse us? You're going to put him as a name in our Torah? In our Pashios with Chaisara? With Pinchas? With Yisro? What's going on over here? Why does Balak have a right to have a passion, the Torah, named after him? Medjish Rabbah. 
Medjish Rabbah says, because Balak, Rasha Marusha, who came from Balak? Mashiach. From Rus? From Balak? Why? What does he deserve? Tell a Pasha named after him? That Rus should come from him? You know what the Medrash Rabbah says? Because of him hiring Bilam to curse us, Matovu Alecha Yaakov Mishkanasecha Yisrael. It's the only bracha, it's the only bracha that Bilam gave us that didn't turn into a klala. And because Matovu Alecha Yaakov Mishkanasecha Yisrael is a bracha that Klaisro was given. When Bilam, when, when Boak paid Bilam to curse us, Hashem said, I have to have a curse at Taif. I have to have a curse at Taif to a Russia whose whole machshava was to curse us, but something good came out of it. I have a curse at Taif. I have to name a Pasha after him. Because is so makpid in a karas, hatov, it's not normal. And the basic Hakaras HaTov in this world is how you treat your parents. And that's why Kivit of Aim is in the first five of the Ten Commandments that we're going to read this week. So I don't know who needs to hear this because it's really not my subject at all. But someone here needs to hear this. And maybe all of us today after Shear should go make a phone call and say to our parents, you know what? I'm in Eretz Yisrael and I'm far away. I just love you. I love you because you're my parents. You brought me into this world and I couldn't be sitting and learning a Taisvis or a Rashi or a Gemara or a Chomish or a Mishnah or have a good Svara if you guys wouldn't have brought me into this world. I wouldn't be here. So I love you, Dad. I love you, Mom, and thank you. You have no idea what that means to a parent. Without, I love you, Mom, I love you, Dad, can I have the car? But just, I love you, Mom, I love you, Dad. It is, it's so big in Shemayim. It's so big here. It gives you sots siyata deshmaya. Don't be the guy that after 120 years when a parent passes away, that you get up in front of everyone and you're like, Tante, I hope you might me for everything I didn't do or I did do. Too late, they're dead in a box. Give it up. I stand there, and I'm a client, so I'm outside, and I listen to these guys get up and say, I'm sorry I didn't give you more time. I'm sorry I didn't tell you I love you. Too late. They can't feel your hug. They can't feel your kiss. They can't hear your good words. It's a whole different level. It's not physical anymore. Too late. Do it to them when they're alive. And admit to Hashem, when you become parents... The most important thing that you could ever tell your child is that you love them. Not they know it anyway. They don't know anything anyway. The healthiest children are the children that before they go to sleep at night, they hear their parent tell them they love them. And even though we may not agree with everything that you did today, but we love you. We don't love everything you do. We love you. A kid needs to know that. The kids who grew up healthy, the kids who have self-esteem, I call it a bulletproof vest. When a child walks around and he knows that in his parents' eyes, he's the greatest thing that ever happened to them? Nobody, nobody. I can tell you, the guy who's standing in front of you right now, I went through a very tough childhood in school. Very tough childhood in school. 
I got thrown out in third grade for running away from yeshiva. I got thrown out in tenth grade for talking to a girl. I got thrown out all the time. It never bothered me because I knew that my father and my mother thought that was the greatest thing that ever happened to them. I really didn't care what the principal thought. I didn't care what anyone else thought. I'm talking to you honestly. And as Rabbi Wallerstein, I get, you think I don't get criticism? How did you say this? And how did you say that? And Zumba and Bumba and all these craziness and what I, whatever I say and that. I'm like, I don't really care what you think. I say what's on my mind. You know why? Because I was brought up by parents who believed in me. I said this last night. And again, I'm saying this, that when you become a parent, I can't change who your parents are. And no matter who your parents are, you have to have kibbutz of aim. You have to learn hilchas. You should go. You should learn. Make a seder in the morning for ten minutes. Learn hilchas kibbutz of aim because you don't know the halachas that if your parents take all your money and throw it into the yam, you can't do anything about it. They're still chayev to pay you back, but you can't do anything about it. On the other hand, if someone comes and says, "I'm going to kill you or your parents," you have to save yourself. There's a lot of halachas that we don't know that we think, "Oh, I have to save my parent." No, there's a lot of halachas you have to you have to learn. You have to learn hilchas kibbutz of aim. So. I'll tell you, my, my kayak was that my father, well, first of all, what does it mean that you love someone? What does that mean? It's a, it's a very long share what the word love means. But I do a lot of shalom bias. I'm Baruch Hashem teaching for 37 years. So a lot of the boys that I taught were 8th graders. They're 13 plus, you do that, plus 37. These guys are older guys already. So I do a lot of shalom bias. Some of them, some other people. And every wife says the same thing. Whether they're married three months, three years, 30 years, or 12 years. They come to my house, like, here, we're at Wallstein, we're here, we're, our marriage is not so good. I'm like, of course, you're not coming to tell me your marriage is good. Nobody comes to tell me that. <laughs> so I always let the woman talk first. I'm smart. I have five daughters. So I learned it the hard way. I lived with six women my whole life. So you let them talk first. So the woman, they all say the same thing. You know, Rabbi Wallace, you know why I'm here today? I'm like, no. My husband really doesn't love me. They all say that. And every husband says the same thing. You see? This is the problem. What do you mean? I don't love you. And I don't know why guys say this. Please don't. You should never have Sean Bias problems. But all the guys say the same thing. What do you mean I don't love you? I pay the mortgage. What? I pay all your bills. You have credit cards. What more do you want from me? Rabbi, what does she want from me? And I just got her a new Lexus. She lives in Flatbush. We get that also. (laughs) And the woman is standing there like, like, so? My father used to pay the bills and the mortgage, and I used to use his car. Like, you think I married you to pay the mortgage? So he's like, so, so what do you want from me, Rabbi? You see, this is, this is what's going on here. And every woman says the same thing. I don't care about your bills. That's not what this is about. Marriage is about giving me some time. You're busy learning. You're busy playing ball. You're busy going out with your friends. I married you. Not that you should be with your friends all the time. I married you to spend some time with me. You don't spend it. Even when we go out to eat, you're on your iPhone. And then we go on a vacation, you're on your iPhone. So I don't exist in your world. So all I really want from you is time. Terrible word. He would have been much happier if she would have said a black American Express card, because that he could get. But time? 
So I'm like, okay, here we go. Shalom Bias Wallerstein, 101. This is simple. She's able to communicate. She wants some time. Guys, go away for three days on a honeymoon together. Leave your phones with me and go. I'll send you to Las Cabos. It's a place where they have no phones and it doesn't work. Nothing works. Either you come out of there in love or you come out of there getting divorced because <laughs> you have to spend three days with just a book and that's it. It's a great place. It's an amazing place. There's a minion at the bottom of the hill. There's a Svarty hotel over there down there, whatever it is. They advertise. You're either going to come home and get divorced because now all of a sudden you meet this person and you got to spend three days with her or four days. And, you know, in marriage, you don't really spend that much time with her. So, so I'm like, okay, listen, go with her for three days and leave me your phones and uh, get a babysitter for your kids. The guy looks at me, right? He goes, Rabbi Wallstein, three days? I'm like, yeah, three days. He goes, do they have to be with Sufim? Like, <laughs> like in a row? Or can we do like one this month and one in three months and one in another month? Yeah, it's easy to buy something for someone. What is love? What does love mean? Love means giving someone the one thing in your life that you can't live without for even a millionth of a second. You can live without money. You can live without COVID, some of us. You can live without breathing. You can hold your breath for two minutes. You can live without water. You can live without air. The one thing you can't live without for a millionth of a second is time. When there's no more time left, it's over. So the most precious thing that everyone in this room has, that Hashem gave us, most of you look alive, not all of you, right? But most of you are alive at the moment, is time. Time is potential. You can do anything when you have time. When you have no more time, why, why do we say, why am I, why am I, I said cottage today, there's a yard site, and you sit shiva. I mean, you go to, you go to, to, to be a What do you tell the person who's sitting shiva? Oh, he's in a much better place. He's next to the Kishia Kavad. So you're like, so what are you sitting on the floor for? Let's make a party. He's in a better place, right? We just had a big snowstorm. My, my grandmother couldn't get out, right? It's snowing, it's snowing. I got her on a jet blue and she went to Florida. And she calls me and says, it's 85 degrees. Well, now it's not. It's only 40. Ha. But anyway, right? But it's 85 degrees. So what? You're going to rice Korea? Oh, my God. You're in Florida. It's terrible. No, it's great. So you're walking in. You're telling the person, the Shem is in Florida, right? It's in Ghanada, next to Hashem. So why are we all so sad? We should be partying. The Mishnah Pirkeavos. And the Mishnah Pirkeavos says that one second in this world of doing Torah, Eskim B'Torah, or doing Tshuva is worth more than the whole Gan Eden forever. Because one second in this world is unlimited potential. That's what life is. That's why in English the word is called the present. Because the present, living in the present, is the greatest present that a person can have. And that's why wasting time is called killing time. Time is life. Time is potential. So when you really love someone, whether you're a Rebbe, a Chavrusa, a parent, a, a husband, or a wife, if you want to show someone that you love them, buying them something means nothing. Giving them time. So my father, Allah today's his yard site. My father was a traveling salesman. He left New York, Muncie actually, on Sunday, drove to Florida three days, bought the stuff that he needed, drove back from Florida three days, and sold on his way back all the store fixtures. So he worked six days, and in those days, the, hot, the fastest a car could go was 60 miles an hour. And Nebuchadnezzar, I remember, he had nothing to eat. They had some rokich cans of split pea soup. Tuna fish wasn't kosher in those days. There was nothing. The man had matzah. That's it. Nothing. And I would come home on Friday. The neshama should have an aliyah. 
I come off the bus at 2 o'clock. He got home on Friday at 11 from driving for six days by himself. And the man was standing on the porch with a football in his hand. And he's like, kids, let's go play ball. Tati, go to sleep. You're tired. Six days. No. His kids were everything. I knew that my father loved me. How did I know? Every spear second in his life till the day he died, he spent with his kids. Not his friends. Didn't have a lot of friends. So he gave me a bulletproof vest. And when my mashkiach in 10th grade, when a guy saw me talking to a neighbor in Muncie, a girl, which was totally innocent, whatever it was, right? My, no, no, it was really, she was on my block. It really was. I would tell you if it wasn't. Come on. I'm one of the guys. But this big tzaddik who wanted to show off to the mashkiach that he was a big tzaddik, decided to tell the mashkiach that Wallerstein was talking to a girl, and I was called into the room of the man that I trusted and loved, and I was told, what do you think is going to happen to you? You talk to girls? Do you know what you're going to grow up to be? And I was like, Moshe Benu? <laughs> he said, you're going to grow up to be a sewer rat. That's not a rat. That's not the little rat. That's the big one with the big long tail. <laughs> I was a hockey player. I was a tough, kid. I had stitches. I was the most penalized on the team. It wasn't a team of Jews. I wanted to become a New York Ranger. It was my life. I was a tough guy. When he called me that, I'll never forget, I walked out of the room. I went to the bathroom and I started crying. I was a 10th grader and I started crying. I never cried in my life. The person that I trusted, that I thought, thought I was the greatest guy in the world, broke my heart. Well, when I walked out of that bathroom, I was good. Because I knew I was going home to a dad that thought I was the greatest thing that ever happened to him. My brother and my sister too. And when you know that, when you have that in your heart, nobody could hurt you. Taking that to a different level, growing up and getting close to Hashem, when you realize that to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, every one of us, is the greatest thing that ever happened to him? Nobody in the world can hurt you. That's really the Koyach of Klai Yisrael. That's the Mishnah of Pekayavos. The Mishnah of Pekayavos is that everyone in this room, everyone in this room, to God, you're the greatest thing that ever happened to him. How do you know? Because he's giving you the greatest thing that he has. And that's life. And that's time. He's standing there with a football. Except it's not a football. It's much more than a football. He's standing there every second and pumping life into every single one of us. So, Kodesh Baruch Hu, you're able to take that to that level to understand, do you know who I am? I don't care what you think of me. you know who I am? I am God's child. And he gave me a present. It's the Torah. And I'm bulletproof. And nobody can hurt me. But to understand, to get to that level in a relationship with God, you have to have that relationship on this world. You can't just jump to that relationship. So everyone in this room, if you don't have that relationship with your father, listen, it wasn't your choice who your parents are. It's not. Rav Shimshin Pinker says most of the things in life are not our choice. Who your parents are, who your siblings are, boy or girl, well, it used to be not a choice, right? Boy or girl, Jew or not, or Jew or not Jew, all the main things in your life. Who are you going to marry? You think? 
the Shadchan, I met her, she likes me, I'm cool, I look good, I this and that, my resume, baloney. Forty days before you got here, they already announced who she is. Rav Shem says, so then why do we have this whole emotions, we're going out, we should do him, I'm love, and this, what, what? What do you need it for? Hashem said, her to him. He said something nairidic. He said, even though Hashem said who the Shidduch is, if the two people that are involved in the Shidduch have no involvement with each other, it still won't work. Godless. Even though it's mentioned, they're going to be together, but they'll be together, but it won't be a husband and wife. The husband and wife, they have to work on. It's a malacha. But Hashem chose who you're going to marry. Hashem chose your parents. He chose your siblings. He chose pretty much where you lived as a kid, where you went to yeshiva. He gave you your IQ. There are some guys in here with 145 IQ, and there are some guys in here with 100 IQ. And there are some guys here that have a crazy memory, and there are some guys here who can't remember their name and wasn't sewn on their shirt. Everyone's different. And there are some guys who come from functional homes, and there are some guys who come from dysfunctional homes. And you didn't choose the dysfunctional home, and you didn't choose the IQ, and you didn't choose the memory. So pretty much, the whole machine, the who you are, you didn't have a choice. So Shimshin says, so what are you doing here? You might as well be a tree. If you have no choice, his answer is pleadic. His answer is the only choice you have in life is what to do with the things that you have no choice. But that's your IQ, and those are your parents, and those are your siblings, and that you're a guy, and that you're a Jew, and that's who you're marrying. All the things you have no choice, the only choice you have is what do you do with it? You accept it, and you grow with it, or you step in, you step up, or you step out. That's your choice. Everybody has that choice. That's Tevara. What do you do because you have this, those kind of parents? What do you do because you come from that kind of family? What do you do that your family's not from? And the guy sitting next to you comes from a, a from family. So what are you going to do? You're going to walk out? That's your choice. Or now you have what's called struggle muscle. You can help all the guys who come from non-from families. Because if you're successful, you can walk in where Wallstein can't walk in. The first thing, any time, Eshatara, right? They don't call me. I don't talk for Eishat Torah. Why don't I talk for Eishat Torah? Because the first thing the guys that I'm speaking to are going to say, are you about Chuva? Like, what are you talking about? You're born, you know, you're a French fries. You're an FFB. You know, I hate that word anyway. <laughs> I don't know what that means from, from birth. You ever see a guy get, guy get born, and like the first second he gets a breath, he's like, Baruch HaTashem, Like what? Like what? What, what mitzvah are you doing exactly when you're born? You know? Girl gets born, she's like, the diapers, I wanted to, 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 they have to reach below my knee. Okay? What kind of diapers are these? I'm not sneaking a stick of diapers. Like, wow, who's from from birth? What does that mean? From from birth, now they have this new thing, OTD. Someone said, you know, my kid's OTD. I'm like, OTB? He's betting? He's, he's playing the horses? What are, you, what are you saying? He says, no, he's OTD. I'm like, what's OTD? Off the derech. I said, hold on. OTD is also on the derech. Which OTD is he? The plus or the minus? You should go. We're giving letters. Everything has letters today. OTD. What's going on over here? Right? So I said the only letters I give is FAD. person has to be FAD. What is FAD? From a death. <laughs> Doesn't matter how you're born. Matters how you die. Right? So we're, we're all different. Everybody in this room is different. There's no two guys in this room that have the same fingerprints. We're all different. And that's what makes us special. So, so a person, your choice is what to do, where you come from. But all the guys who are going to be a parent in Mitzvah Shem, you're going to be a father. You need to give them love. What does that mean? You need to give your children time. Get rid of that phone, that stupidity, that piece of metal 
a piece of garbage that has no, that's destroying, forget about Yiddishkeit, all the things that you can see on it, don't forget about it, but it's destroying relationships. Instead of smiling at someone, you send a stupid little black line with another black line, a smiley line, whatever it is. What is that? What is that? So people are so busy, we're so busy with our phones, our children are alive. Phones are not alive. They're called nets and webs and cells, things that capture you. All the words that are used that you can't get out. The, the, the keyboard, what does it say? It says enter, but there's no exit. It's escape. Who wrote that? Came up with that idea, right? Whoever wrote that understood that there is no exit, but there's only escape. So Bezrat Hashem, when you become a father, when you become a father, if you want to understand what it means to have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, you first have to have a relationship with your children. And everybody in this room can have that relationship. But the one thing that you need to give them is you need to give them time. And that's why Rabbi Wallstein is able to stand in front of you today. Because that's what my father gave me. And the least I could do is come to Eretz Yisrael and take time for myself and to be here on his yard side and to daven vosikin and to duchin. My father, we were kahanim, we are kahanim. And to do him by the Kaisal, his place he loved to be with at the Kaisal, the least I can do is to give him back a little bit of that time that he gave me. I am a tenth, a millionth of who he was. And the only reason I'm able to do what I do, and really not to care that much what people think, because that's not what I care about, is to know what he thinks, and to understand what Hashem thinks, and what would make him proud if I were to ask him, should I say what I felt, or should I not say what I felt? He was in the United States, 112th Airborne Division in the Korean War. He was a tough guy. He was a soldier. It was the toughest division to be in the 112th and be a Jew. Well, I mean, there's stories I could tell you all day of what he went through. He was a tough guy. But in his toughness was his love. And his love for his kids were just, we knew because he gave us this time. So I want to end. I really wanted to talk about Yosef Atalik today, but it wasn't meant to be. I want to just tell you something about Minyan. So my father was very makbid. One of his hakpadas was he never davened Yechidus. He was a big businessman. He flew to the places in America where there was no Minyan for Minchamayrev. Mid-America. There was no Minyan. But he would go nowhere where there was no Minyan. So let's say his meeting was over at 4 o'clock and there was no Minyan. Come back to New York it was ready at night. He would fly backwards. He would fly to the West Coast, to California, chat the three hours, then Davin Minchemayr in California, and then take the red eye from California to New York. He did not miss Minion. When I got married, I decided I want to go on a honeymoon. So, me and my wife decided we're not going to go where all the Jews are in Florida. I'm talking 37 years ago. We're going to go to the Bahamas. There was an airline called Eastern Airlines. And I booked. And we're going to go to the Bahamas. So, me and my wife went to the Bahamas. The first night I'm there, he was in Florida, my father. I called up my father. He goes, where are you? I'm like, I'm in Freeport in the Bahamas. He goes, you have a minion? I'm like, Dad, it's my honeymoon. Rationalization, right? It's my honeymoon. I, I booked that I'll be in Florida. We're, we're coming back on Friday. So Shabbos, I wouldn't miss without a minion. But, ah, come on. During the week, just got married. You know, 
Kitrach, you know, the first night you're not chayv in Kriyashma, so maybe the first month you're not chayv in, uh, you know, Davni with a minion. I don't know, you know, maybe Shana Rishayna, maybe, you know, a little bit. Now you have to understand that the two of, the two of us were inseparable. I was, I was, my father was my Rebbe, my best friend, my everything. We were inseparable. So he says on the phone, where's the minion? I'm like, well, there's an old shul in Freeport, there is. So I was trying, like, okay, he would say, okay, goodbye. But he asked, is there a minion in the old shul? I said, no. He said, I don't understand, you're my son. What, what are you thinking? You know that I give up my life for minion. How could you go somewhere for a whole week where there's no minion? I'm like, Dad, come on, don't, you know, I just got married. I don't want to cause bachlis with my wife, whatever. So I'm like, I'm like, Dad, come on, it's just, it's just leave it alone. It's just a couple of days. I'll never forget it. He says to me, Zachariah, if you're not in Miami tomorrow morning for Shachris, I am totally disowning you. <laughs> I said, what? He said, tomorrow morning for Shachris, my son went to a place after you know what I went through to not miss Minyan, my son went to a place where there is no Minyan, you're either tomorrow morning at Chakris, don't ever call me again. Now, coming from my father, that was the most, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't even know how to digest it. I mean, we were like best friends, like, what? My wife sees that I'm turning white. She just got married. She says, what's going on? I'm like, um, we have a problem. <laughs> so what's the problem? I'm like, my father pretty much told me that he'll never talk to me again unless we go back to Miami, unless we go to Miami. She's like, what, Miami? I said, you know how he is with Minion and everything else. It's my fault. I should have never made this vacation. Uh, now, here was a challenge because she just got married to me, so it's like, your father or me, right? But she didn't say that. She didn't say that. I said, you know what we'll do? I was a very smart guy. I said, this is what we'll do. We'll go to the airport in the morning I'm sure there's no fight very early. And I'll tell him, I'll call from the airport, Dad, I'm here, I want to go. But there's no planes. The plane, the Eastern Airlines leaves like at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, right? I'll tell him the next flight is at 5. At least today, we can hang out here. I tried. Okay, we pack up our stuff. We go to this little teeny bohemian airport. So we run over to the Eastern Airlines counter. 5 p.m., Miami. Perfect. Right? So I was like, okay, let's go back to the hotel. Let's hang out sit by the pool, relax, enjoy ourselves, and we'll go tonight, we'll go to Miami, it's not the end of the world. We're walking out of the airport, there's this little teeny stand, Bohemian Airlines. I was there like seven, it was like seven o'clock in the morning, there's a flight at 7.30 to Miami. I'm like, I didn't see that. I mean, why would I look to the left, right? (laughs) But but my conscience was like, I'm not going to lie, I'm not going to call him and lie, but I'm not a liar. I said to my wife, you know, we got to try. Let's see if they have any seats. So we go to the counter. I'm like, we're looking for two seats to Miami. Do you have any seats? She goes, yes, we have two. (laughs) I'm like, that's my father. Okay. Right? This is the truth. So we take our luggage, teeny little airport. We walk out to this plane. The plane is a quarter of this room. (laughs) And it has these pontoons on the bottom. It runs on the water. Okay? Or like a foot off the water. So we get onto this plane, and my wife's already, like, going crazy. We get onto this plane, but we're honeymooners, so we sit in the front two seats. We're sitting there. These bohemian women get on the plane, okay? 
not small people. Okay? <laughs> to say it nicely, lush and nucky. They get on the plane, four of them get on the plane. Oh my God, first of all, no showers, no nothing. Like We're sitting there, you know, honeymooners and the, and the plane smells like, whoa. Pilot gets on, this guy in shorts with a Hawaiian shirt. I'm thinking, he's the luggage guy, I don't know what he is. He comes in, he has those little nebuch, he has those little wings. I'm like, oh no. He says, hi, I'm the pilot for this flight to Miami. I'm like, where's the rest of your pants? <laughs> he says, listen, you too? You look like honeymooners. I'm really sorry, I got to break this up. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, listen, this plane is so small, we have to do weight. We have to do weights. <laughs> so he tells my wife, who's a skinny little girl, says, you sit next to that lady. And he tells the other lady to come sit next to me. I'm squashed. She's squashed. She's looking at me like, your father's like, what is he doing to us, right? To make a long story short, I was there for Shachris in Lababish at 9 o'clock in Miami. We flew over the water. I got so sick on that flight. He was mamish two feet over the water, right? I could still... Okay, whatever. I'm not going to get into it. Zechariah Wallerstein, the guy standing in front of you, has not missed a minion since that honeymoon. Maybe one or two and I was sick or whatever it was. I don't miss minion. My father was willing to give up our relationship over a minion then minion is that important to him then the minion is that important to me because he was that important to me what does that do many many years later going to a ranger hockey game I got tickets to sit five rolls off the ice playoff game and I took a guy with me that I wasn't even that friendly with but I owed him a favor this guy was a modern guy, pretty wild guy. And we're on our way to the Ranger game, and I remember they didn't have a mincha. At that time, Landau's wasn't the shul where it was. It was a shul with a tree in the middle. It was this teeny little shul, and I had to have a mincha. But the game, the fir- I would miss the first period. And this was like, like $5,000 a ticket to sit where I was sitting. And the guy said to me, are you crazy? You're going to go to David mincha now? Let's have you know, one, two, three. Bichidas. You, you, the first period could be the end of the game. If one team scores three, four goals, we miss the whole game. Are you crazy? I'm like, I don't miss Minion. He wouldn't even come into David Mencha with me. He was so angry, sitting in the front seat, even though I gave him a free ticket. Well, okay, that's how it works, right? I David Mencha, my mazel, it schlepped. It was like 20 minutes instead of 15 minutes. And anyway, we get to the game. We missed the whole first period. There was like five goals scored that period. It was like a crazy period. Of course, the second period, nothing happened. We just sat there, right? This guy, I don't want to say his name. He, he, he would come here and tell you the story. This guy, since that hockey game, is a very modern guy. I don't know what, what he keeps and what he doesn't keep. He's not Mr. Minion. You're talking 12 years ago, 14 years ago? Has not Mr. Minion. So not only did I not miss the minion, because this guy saw what it meant to me, and all my Talmidim know what it means to me, they haven't missed the minion because my father said, do I think he would have disowned me? No. I don't think so, because he loved me too much to do that. But he threatened me. I told this story over to my Rebbe. I told this over to Rebbe Gamliel. Rebbe Gamliel said, you don't get any credit at all. He always says that anyway. He says, you don't get, you don't get any credit at all. Why? Because you were brought up in that home, and you understand how important minion was to your father. She says, but your wife, your wife left on her own and didn't say, choose your father or me? 
And she got on that plane? He said, she's a tzaddikista. She gets a lot of credit. And Chachayah, she does. She gets a lot of credit. Minion. Minion, boys. Minion, minion, minion is very important because when you come to Minion, besides doing tzedakah, you know, it's very hard for us to have kavan, especially in Shemona Esrei. I say, before I say Shemona Esrei, I am all over the place. <laughs> and sometimes I travel so far that I bench Goimel after I come out. <laughs> you come to Minion, your whole day, your whole day is different than even if you didn't have kavanah in Shemona Esrei, there's another guy in the Minion that had kavanah by Atta Kadosh. And this other guy had by Atochaynelonadas. And this guy was Rafa'ina because he needed someone to have a Rafua. So even though you were all over the place, but because the Minion, the, 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 the Hashem takes all the Tfilos at the end of the Minion, everyone's Tfilos. So you missed Ashray, your head was somewhere else. This guy missed Yehichavot. This guy forgot about Baksha Omar. This guy was here. This guy was there. But Hashem takes all the Tfilos together. You got one Tfilos. When you're down by yourself, who, who are you to down by yourself? They rip it to pieces. To pieces. They rip your Tfilos to pieces. Minion, to start your day, I don't know if it's a challenge for anyone in this room, probably not. I'm sure everyone's here for Minion in the morning, but if it is a challenge, or maybe you know someone that's being challenged a little bit with it, you need to tell them that Minion, Minion, Minion is very important. Kivar of Aim, you want to see out the Deshmaya, you start your day with a Minion, you have Kivar of Aim, you get on your phone today, and you tell your parents how much you love them, and if you need something to be sorry about, you tell them that you're sorry. Don't wait till it's too late. How many people have watched cry by an arm, cry by a coffin? It's too late. You can't hug them anymore. You can't give them a kiss. You can't say a good word. They can't see you smile. You can't see them smile. I'll end with this. I know I'm very late and you guys are very happy that you don't have to be learning right now. But I'll end with this just two seconds. I spoke about this in Florida many years ago. I talked about children and time and love and caring. This man came over to me. A lot of guys in this room know this name. He's very rich. I mean, very rich. I'm talking billionaire, not millionaire. Rich, powerful, well-known name in the Jewish world. And I was speaking in Florida. He happened to have been in the back of the shul. And he came over to me. He said, Rabbi Wallstein, you didn't speak for me. You didn't even know that I was here. I was speaking to young people. He just happened to have walked in. He said, I want to tell you that you don't even know what you said. So why are you, what are you saying? He said, my mother, that's what this guy told me, my, his mother, who got married before the Holocaust, had 11 or 13 kids. The Nazis killed all her kids and her husband. She came to America, and she married this guy's father. So he was a child of a woman who lost her whole family in the Holocaust. So said, well, I'll see my whole life. My mother never said the words, I love you. In fact, she was the most unemotional woman you ever met because she was scared there's going to be another holocaust and she's going to get close to her kids like last time and they're going to take her kids away again so she shut down zero emotions he said you don't know my struggle when I heard other mothers telling the kids my mother never said the words we never heard it in the house the word love we never heard it it was like a dirty word he said three days before she died I'm sitting in the room he tells me and she calls me over to her bed and I'll just change the name. She says, Yanko, before I die, no, Ma, you're not dying. I know. But before I die, I need to tell you something. And he's thinking, he said, I was thinking, there's no way she's going to tell me she loves me. There's no way. She says, Yanko, I want to tell you something I never told you. He's like, yeah, Ma, I'm so 
proud of who you are. And that's all. <laughs> Through Wallstein, I have done $100 million flips. I am, you know who I am, I am powerful. People listen to what I have to say. He said, Rabbi Wallstein, the best day of my life. No, the best moment of my life was when Mama told me she's proud of me. Didn't make any money by that. By his mother saying that. Didn't get any covered. He said, you don't understand what it means for a parent to tell their child that they're proud of them. Or that they love them. He said, it was the best moment of my life. Rabbi Wallstein, keep talking about it. Keep telling the young people that when they get married and they have children, they need to tell their children that they're proud of them and that they love them. And they're the most precious thing in their life. And not only tell them, but show them by giving them time. You're the next generation, guys. You're going to get married. You're going to get busy. Money, power, friends, sports, all the stuff that we get busy with. But in the end, you only have one thing. You have two things. You have your Torah and your mitzvahs, and you have your kids. If your kids know that you love them, you'll protect them. Because when other people try to hurt them, when you know that Tati and Mommy love me and think I'm the best thing in the world, <laughs> even if they criticize me, because that doesn't mean anything. A good coach coaches. A bad coach doesn't criticize. A good coach criticizes. My one weakness in hockey was I couldn't skate backwards. I was the high scorer in the team. I had a slap shot and a wrist shot. You just saw my hands move and the net move. <laughs> I'm serious. You can ask the guys that lived in my generation about Zach Wallstein. I was a crazy hockey player, but I couldn't get back for defense. I couldn't skate backwards, and I had a coach. And I was a big shot because I was the high scorer. And I had a coach who told me, you're going to be off the team, Wallstein, unless you learn how to skate backwards. I'm like, you're going to kick me off the team. I'm your high scorer. He says, you're my high scorer, but you don't get back on defense. So I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't skate any better. So he came over to me. He said, this is the deal. Unless for the next month, twice a week, you skate backwards on the rink, three hours each time, you're off the team. I said, are you kidding me? You can't. You're not throwing me off the team. He goes, I'm throwing you off the team. Let some other team pick you up. You can't skate backwards. I looked at this man like he was nuts. So I went to the rink in Muncie, like a Meshuggah. Everybody was skating around, and Wallstein was skating from one end, backwards, turned around, backwards, for three hours. Do you know how nauseous I was throwing? I was so dizzy and nauseous. But man, can I skate backwards today. <laughs> so the coach didn't like me? No, the coach loved me. And he wanted me to become the best player that I could become. A parent criticizing your child and working on their weaknesses to make them stronger, that's not, that doesn't mean they don't love you. It's just the opposite. It means that they love you. I'll end with this, even though it's a sports saying. <coughs> you got to do your best, boys. And you got to try. And sometimes you're going to learn Gemara, and it's going to be tough. And sometimes you're going to go through things emotionally that are going to be tough. So you got to push through it. They asked the greatest hockey player, the highest scoring hockey player probably that ever lived, Wayne Gretzky, and they asked him a skinny runt. He's a skinny runt, this guy. And he's the highest scorer. And they asked him, you? You don't even have the body of a hockey player. How did you become 
the greatest hockey player? And he said, there was a lesson that I learned as a kid that I was taught by my coach. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You got to try. You got to shoot it towards the net. You got to open that Gemara and that's, yesterday you didn't understand it and you didn't understand it, but if you don't try, you'll never understand it. You miss 100% of the chances that you never took. You got to take the chance. You got to push. And if you do, they'll go in. Shoot it towards the net. Just, you, it's hard time to get down. Get up and go to Davin. And I didn't have Kavana anyway. You got to push. You got to push. The Koyach is, you got to try. The guy standing in front of you, my whole life, everything that I've ever done never came easy. Didn't just open Ornava, didn't just open a high school, didn't just get up. You know, as a kid, I had a learning disability. I lisped terribly. I stuttered. I was the first guy in Yeshiva Spring Valley that had a speech therapist. Never for me, 50 years ago, they had a new intercom. They just got intercom was a big thing. And like every Wednesday, the whole school heard on the intercom, Hi, it's 310, Wallerstein, go to speech in room 401. And my whole class was like, you can't say she sells seashells at the seashore. <laughs> so I, I, know, I know what it means. I, I know what it means to struggle. I know what it means to struggle. And now I talk. Now I'm a big speaker. And there are words that I cannot say. There are words in the English that I can't say because the TH and the S are too close to each other. So I can get up and I want to tell you something. And I got to go around that word because I'm going to sound like a very silly little boy if I'm going to lisp in front of all of you. You're going to start laughing. Or maybe you won't because of Rahmanis. But... Yeah, you got to push. You got to push. I was that kid. I was the kid that they said would never be able to talk correctly. In, in pre-1A and in kindergarten, I was the kid that only drew outside the lines. They didn't understand what was wrong with this kid. Everybody drew inside the line, a little bit over the line. Me, I left the inside of the line empty. I only drew outside of the line. Seriously. So in Yeshiva Spring Valley, talking 52 years ago, they thought I had a disease. They couldn't even spell dyslexia in those days. They didn't even know what that was. So they put me in a corner of the room. There was another a girl that also had the same problem, though we didn't get married, right? <laughs> she also had the same problem. And kindergarten, pre-1A, Wildstein sat in the corner. Everybody sat over there. I sat in the corner because there's something wrong with this guy. He only draws outside the line. Why did I do that? Because anyone could draw inside the line. <laughs> Got to think out of the box. Once you're in the box, you're dead. Okay, whatever. <laughs> anyway, give you all a bracha that you should talk. Hashem should give you lots and lots and lots. Lots and lots of, lots and lots of time because time is love. Because Baruch should give you lots of love, lots of time, and everyone in this room should know that God will never, ever, ever give up on any of you. And if you take that into your heart and you know that you have a God that will never give up on you, then you'll never give up on yourself. You should all have a tzlacha, my father should have an aliyah, and from this year, at least I hope one guy will call his parents and tell them how much you love them, how much you miss them, whether you do or you don't, you'll tell them that anyway, but seriously, you'll tell them that, and maybe some guy who doesn't show up for Minyan, who thinks davening by the Kaisal means davening in his room, will come to Minyan and change his life because that would be the biggest chus for my dad that another boy, another person, another mishpacha understands that a honeymoon doesn't mean honeymooning from the Torah. That's not a honeymoon. A honeymoon means 
honeymooning with the Torah. Thank you very much. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.